The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Tori Shine. Tori is a writer and performing artist living in New York City. Tori shares about meeting someone who quickly became her best friend, but both were hesitant to start a relationship. They grew to being the most important person in each other's lives, but when he died suddenly, Tori had to grieve the loss of someone she loved while also sorting through all his belongings. Hey, Tori, how are you doing? Hi, Brian. Uh, I'm doing really well. Um, Great. Yeah, thanks so much for, thank you for inviting me onto this podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I know, yeah, we met a few months ago and have been trying to make this happen, and now we're here. So I'm glad you are you get to share uh, with me and everyone listening today. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, uh, what did you want to talk about? So I thought, given that the podcast is Love Hurts, um, I would share a story about grief. Um, but I guess it's sort of a story about one particular or unique moment in the grieving process that I experienced. Okay, cool. So yeah, where, where does it all start? Um, so I met Chris when I was 28 years old. Um, we met in New York. I had moved to New York City for graduate school. And we met through mutual friends. We were both really active in the live music scene in New York City. And the thing with Chris is like we were both, we were very, very different people. But at the same time, we just, we understood each other in this fundamental way. We just clicked. And we were best friends. We hung out almost every day. And then for a while, we were best friends who were secretly in love with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a secret to the two of you or a secret to the other people in your like world, the people you had met each other through? It was, uh, it was a secret to the two of us. Yes, right? okay. I, I think, yeah, I think we both knew it for a long time, um, but it took about two or three years before we actually had the conversation. Got it. So it was a lot of like, you're in each other's company, you're doing stuff together, you're both like probably having these feelings, but neither one of you is like saying that to the other person. Yeah, it's, yeah, you know, it's, you you fall for your best friend, and it's kind of terrifying because you you don't want to lose that friendship. And yeah, it's a very it's a very stressful. I feel like that kind of wor- thing is a very stressful thing because you're like, yeah, I would not only blow the opportunity for the romantic aspect of this, but also potentially ruin this r- friendship that is very important to me, right? Yeah, and that was yeah, and even you know, even after we had the conversation where we kind of shared our feelings. It was still complicated. You know, we were different people. We were on just very different paths. And I think we both kind of knew that we weren't ready to go all in, right? That if we kind of went in on a relationship, it wouldn't work. And we didn't want to lose this friendship, but we also loved each other. And so for, for years, we were kind of these two best friends who were in love with each other, just trying to kind of figure out, like, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do from here? Yeah, Wow. Yeah. You know, we were both living our own lives, but we, we were best friends. We, you know, we hung out almost every single day um, and we were just kind of trying to figure out what do we do from here? You yeah. Know, we're, um, and um, yeah, so that, so that went on for a couple of years and then suddenly I finished grad school. You know, that was the reason I came to New York. Um, I got my PhD 
and I get offered a really good job. I get offered a tenure track job at a research university, which in academia, that's the gold standard, right? Getting a tenure track job right out of grad school. Uh, but the only catch is it was not in New York City. It was a job in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. You know, I get this job, right? I get this sort of dream job. And I remember Chris, he pulled me aside one day and he says, it's like, I don't want you to take the job. You wanted me to stay in New York. And I loved New York so much. Like, I, I didn't want to leave New York either. And I didn't want to leave him. But it's like, we, we weren't even together. Like, we weren't even officially a couple. And I was at this pivotal moment in my career. And it was a great job. And I just, I had to go for it. And I remember like, when I first accepted this job at Pitt, I hoped that he would come with me. Like, that was sort of what I was hoping would happen. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So like he kind of wants you to stay. You kind of want him to go, but you're not dating. So it feels like neither one of you really has the ability to kind of like make that ask of each other. But there was this part of you that hoped he would follow you there. Yeah. yeah when, when I first got the job, I, I hoped he would come. Um, and he could like laugh that, you know, he's like Pittsburgh, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? Like he, he loved New York just as much as I did. He didn't yeah. want to leave New York. Um, but then what's wild is by the time I actually moved, it was about eight months later, he wanted to come. And I was the one who was saying no. Uh, you know, it's just we weren't ready to move in together, to live together. And so I said, you know, like, well, why don't you come to Pittsburgh and get your own place for six months? You know, and let's let's try that, you know, and kind of both establish a life there and then see how that goes. And he didn't he didn't want to do that. Um, and I said, like, okay, well, why don't, you know, why don't you come visit? You know, come for a week, come for a month. And he told me, he's like, I'm not coming unless it's a one-way ticket. And we're just, we're sort of at this impasse. So I leave. I, I moved to Pittsburgh, and he stays in New York. And I remember driving. When I was driving out there, it was, it's a six-hour drive uh, from New York City to Pittsburgh, and my car is full of boxes. And I was so emotional, you know, this whole trip. And I remember listening to the radio, and then there's this moment when I lose the signal on my favorite radio station, Q1043, New York's classic rock. <laughs> and I had all of the buttons in my car programmed. You know, I had six New York radio stations programmed, and then all of a sudden I lose the signal, and I realize, like, I'm losing all of my radio stations, and I'm going to have to find six new stations, <laughs> and I'm going to have to reprogram all of these buttons and my radio turns to static, and I just burst out crying, like in the middle of the interstate. And I pull up my phone, and I call Chris, and I'm thinking, like, he's going to think I'm ridiculous, you know, like sitting here crying on the highway because I lost my radio station. Uh, but then when he answers the phone, he's crying too. And he says, like, before I can even speak, he says, uh, what took you so long? So I've been crying all day. <laughs> he told me his roommate was banging on the door, being like, dude, are you okay? Because he was making so much noise. And, uh, and I kept driving, and we just threw a whole rest of the way to Pittsburgh. We just cried to each other over the telephone. It was hard. There was, there was no good solution. Um, it feels like at that you, you're sort of at that point, right, where it's like, this would have to be this all-in moment. And I'm still not ready to do that. So, like, this is what it has to be. Like, yeah. you just kind of have to live through it. Yeah, it's like I had to take this step. And the only way for us to kind of keep being together in the moment was to go all in. And we weren't in a place where that was the right move. And 
And it was just hard. It's really hard. Yeah. So, yeah, that goes on for about two years. You know, I'm in Pittsburgh and he's in New York and we're both living our own lives. We're both seeing other people. And I was still hoping, you know, I'd find my way back to New York one day. And we still talked about the idea of him maybe coming out to Pittsburgh. You know, none of it was ever off the table, but we just, we never both wanted the same thing at the same time. And it was complicated, as they say. And so we did this for two years. And then one day he was gone. He died on a Tuesday afternoon. Oh, man. And he was visiting his parents. Uh, it's like 4th of July weekend. It was his dad's birthday. And his mom found his body in the living room. His dad tried to give him mouth to mouth. It just, it came out of nowhere and it just, it caught everybody totally by surprise. Oh man, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I didn't take it well. Like I had a lot of regret and just a lot like, you always think like all of these what ifs and it just, it was, it was like shock, right? I was in denial for a while. I just, I could barely even believe it was real. You know, sometimes I'd wake up in the morning and think like, no, that must have been a dream. It's so awful. But then I just, you wake up and it's, it's real and every single day. So after the funeral, I went and I stayed with his family for a few days. Uh, it was his mom and his dad and his sister, Lauren, and me. And we stayed at his parents' house in New Jersey. And mostly, like, we just, we just cried for days it's like we shared some memories but mostly what I remember is that we just took turns crying in this house and Chris he had just moved into a new apartment like just moved and his parents didn't have his new address yet like it was he had just moved <laughs> yeah uh, but he had a cat Mia and I knew like we need to find his apartment because we need to <laughs> oh find his cat you know we yeah. don't know if he has a roommate and I call all of our mutual friends and I have to tell everybody that he died. I'm like, you know, going through just trying to find his address, calling all these people. I call every single number in his phone. Oh, man. Uh, but we do. I find his address. And his sister Lauren and I drive up to New York and we get Mia. And we get the cat and we collect all of his things. And like, he, had, he had just moved and he hadn't unpacked yet. Like, all of his stuff was still in boxes. And so we load all of these boxes into two cars and we drive everything back down to New Jersey and we just unload it into his parents' garage. So we just, we don't know what to do with all this stuff. And it's clear like he, he had packed in a hurry when he left his old apartment because his stuff was so disorganized. <laughs> it was just all of these boxes is just full of like all of this stuff, different stuff, like all mixed together. It was hard to know what was what. And we realize like somebody's going to have to go through all of his stuff, right? Decide what to keep and what to donate and what to throw away. You know, and Lauren said, she's like, I don't want my parents to have to deal with this. Right? They, we, we were all having a hard time, but we, we thought, if anything, he would want it to be e as easy on his parents as it could be. Right? That's, that's one thing we could do for him. And so we decided, Lauren and I decided that we're going to do this together. And so we post up the two of us in his parents' garage and 
you know, one box at a time, we just we start sorting through all of the different pieces of his life. And at this point, like, are you I know it's you you had known Chris a few years up to this point. Like, had you met his parents and his sister before? Like, how close were you to them when you kind of get thrown into this scenario? Yeah, I'd met, I'd met his family several times. Um, I'd spent the night at his parents' house. Um, although we, we slept in separate bedrooms. So yeah, weird. like that classic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, not, not like, like it was, um, like, yeah, I'd spent the night at his, at his parents' house several times. We'd, yeah. go, we'd gone out to dinner together. Or I'd seen his sister at concerts. Okay. So yeah, you, you had like some relationship with these people, but now you're in this like extra kind of like intimate moment with at least his sister, but also like with his parents too. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, knew, they knew me and I knew them. Um, just you know we'd met several times but yeah now we're we're just yeah we're, we're all dealing with this together all of a sudden i hadn't seen them in years okay you know, yeah probably yeah. In, t- in two years and then all of a sudden we're we're together dealing with his his death right um and it's wild like i'd never gone through a dead person's boxes before like i'd never thought about that being a thing like i'd known people who died you know, I'd had friends who died or family members like my grandparents, but I'd never been the one to sort through their things. And, and I never thought about it before, but it's, I just remember while doing it, it kind of occurred to me like one day, you know, I'm going to die and somebody's going to go through all of my things and I don't know who it will be or where it's going to be, but it, it's going to happen. It just, I it just kind of made me aware of this thing that happens in life that I'd never thought about before. So Lorna and I create a system, right? We're trying to sort through all this stuff and we decide like, okay, the first thing we're going to ask, like everything we come across, first thing we'll ask is like, is this something that his parents would want? Like they would get first dibs, I guess, if you will. Uh, and those tended to be things like a family heirloom or some sort of childhood keepsake, you know, things of sentimental value. Yeah. And if it's not something his parents would want, then we'd think like, does one of us want it? Yeah, you know, most of the stuff that we kept was also sentimental items. And although I, I also kept his ice skates because we we had the same size shoe. It's really weird. <laughs> like when we met, we were wearing the same shoes, like the wow. same brand and color, and we had the same size feet. Um, then he had these ice skates, and I was like, "Well, I know they're going to fit me." So I never <laughs> even I haven't ice skated since that day, but but I have I still have his ice skates. Uh. But yeah, so mostly we keep sentimental items. Um, and then if it's something that none of us want, then we think like, okay, is it something of value? Is it something somebody else would want? And we make a pile for goodwill, for donation, and everything else we throw away. Yeah, so there's kind of like the family pile, the donation pile, and the trash pile. Yeah, exactly. All right, those are like our three categories. And it's wild. We're just, I mean, going through these boxes, it says every box is just full of memories you know just things from his childhood there's old journals he and i we loved live music i find all of these ticket stubs from concerts that we saw together yeah i keep pausing you know just to, to remember all of these different moments uh, i find every gift i ever gave him i i find all of the letters i wrote to him uh, he saved them yeah, I learned that he, he saved every letter I ever wrote him. And then we open up this box 
and it's full of porn. <laughs> porn? <laughs> porn. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a giant box full of DVDs. It's like stacks and stacks and stacks of pornos. And they're not even in cases. They're just, it's like stacks of scratched up discs stacked on top of each other. And it's so weird. I mean, like, he just died. And Lauren and I are devastated. We have been crying for days. At the moment, we open up this giant box of pornos. We both, like, we both just burst out laughing. Like, we're, like, hysterically laughing. And it's so awkward. It's so wrong. It's just such a messed up moment. But it, <laughs> at the same time, like, it's the funniest thing that's ever happened. So, uh, and we take a break from all the sorting, and we stand over this box, and we're flipping through the discs, and we're reading the titles out loud to each other, and we're laughing, and we're crying. <laughs> And I'm thinking, golly, poor Chris, he would be so embarrassed, you know, to have like his little sister and his girlfriend flipping through his porn collection in his <laughs> parents' garage. Like, who who wants that? And I feel awful, but, you know, it's like we're not laughing at him. You know, like lots of people have porn collections. We're not judging him. It's just, it's so funny. It's just, this, it's this moment of comic relief in the middle of so much grief. Yeah, and, and I feel like, the, you know, the way you were describing it, it felt like you were having these kind of small moments of grief, right? Like every time you'd find another concert ticket stub and a letter, and those are sort of these, like, personal moments that maybe you and his sister are both having, where then this becomes this kind of, like, shared comedic moment, too, that you're having with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Yeah, it's like every box, you don't know what you're going to get, you know? It's... um and you open up the box and it just, it's like memories and, you know, we just, we keep finding things that kind of affect us both in different ways. And then we open up this box together and we both just, just laugh. Oh God. So we laugh, you know, we flip through the discs and then we have this moment where we have to figure out like, well, what are we going to do with all these pornos? <laughs> what, <laughs> what pile do we do does with this? this go in? What pile? Yeah. What pile do these belong in? And so we think like, well, obviously his parents aren't going to want them. <laughs> Um, and neither of us wants them, but I feel bad throwing them away. You know, I was like, you know, they're trashy, but they're not actual garbage. You know, I'm sure somebody out there would love this porn collection. Right? Like, there's somebody who would be thrilled to have this box, but it's not the kind of thing you just drop off at Goodwill. Yeah, like they're not going to be putting that on their shelves. <laughs> no. You know, it's the environmentalist in me is thinking like, no, Tori, don't be wasteful. <laughs> but just for the life of me, I can't figure out like, how do I find the appropriate recipient for my dead boyfriend's porn collection? <laughs> like, I just, like, I'm like, I'm having, I'm having a really hard time right now. Like I'm having trouble breathing and eating. It's more than I can bear. And, you know, Lauren and I, we talk it out. We debate through all these different options. <laughs> And eventually we decide that we're just going to throw them away. It's funny because like, um, like what, what year did this happen? This was um, 2015. Yeah. So it's like, 
it's kind of too it feels like a late time to still have like porn dvds when like the internet is in like where it is where you're like but then it also makes me think of like again i think because i came up in the age of the internet where like yeah i didn't need like porn dvds but like i feel like there is that thing with like porn magazines and I guess DVDs and stuff where I feel like people just find them in like dumpsters and trap. Like it, it feels like this is the exact moment that then you would like leave this out at a dumpster for like a 13 year old kid to find. And then that would be his porn collection until like he would put it out at a dumpster for another kid to find. Like it felt like this is sort of this moment for that. <laughs> totally. So yeah, it's, it's funny because I've, so I've shared this story a couple of times and, um, and every time I've shared this story afterward, people have approached me and told me stories about times when they were sorting through someone's boxes after they died, like their dad or their uncle or their brother, and found somebody's porn collection. Yeah. And I guess it's like, apparently it's a very common thing that happens. And, and of course it is, right? That, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Like, it's lots, like a normal, lots of people, yeah. Lots of people have porn collections and- somebody's going to find them when you die like that. It's something that happens. Um, and apparently I didn't know this at the time, but apparently kind of the unspoken tradition is to leave the pornos in a box in the woods. Yeah. Uh, as you yeah. said, <laughs> by a dumpster. Um, and lots of guys, since I first shared the story, a lot of guys have told me the first pornos they ever found, they found in a random box in the woods. Um, that, you know, yeah, apparently that that's sort of the unofficial tradition. Yeah, that's, of- see, again, I never experienced this as a kid. I feel like I missed out on some part of my, like, growing up. But, like, I, I've heard that this is, yeah, a, a part of, yeah, the a get I, how you start, I guess, a, having a porn collection, maybe. Yeah, so so I've since learned that, you know, if, yes. if this ever comes up again, now, now, now I know you, what yeah, to do. Yeah, now you have the actual, <laughs> like, you know how to handle this if, this, if, you, if you're in this exact scenario again. Uh, but yeah, in the moment, we, we don't know of this tradition and yes. we just, we, we, we're going to throw them out. We literally, we take this giant box of DVDs and we just dump it into this great big black trash bag <laughs> and then it's done Ew. and we go back, we, we go back to sorting through these boxes and you shake it off and you were back to work and, you know, I found more ticket stubs and there's more love letters and then we find we find more porn. <laughs> like there is another stack of DVDs just randomly mixed in with stuff in some other box. And again, we, we laugh. We have this this moment of laughter and, and we throw them away. And this goes on for about two days. Right? Like we, we keep unpacking his boxes, and every few hours one of us will come across another stack of DVDs. <laughs> And I feel so bad, right? It's not like I'm looking for them. We just, we keep finding them. Like, like somebody has to go through these boxes and the DVDs are everywhere. Like, but I swear it's just, it's the wildest thing. Every time we find a sack of these pornos, we just, we both start laughing. And it's, it, it was a time in my life when I didn't have a lot of laughter. Like I, I had a really hard time. Like I, I didn't laugh a lot for a really long time after he died. And in this really weird, twisted way, I feel like his very extensive porn collection, it helped me get through those first few days. So we've been, we've been unpacking and we're, we're finally at the home stretch. There's only a couple boxes left. And um, sure enough, 
Lauren finds another <laughs> stack of pornos, right? And she hands, like, she's like, pornos, you know, and she hands them to me, and I'm about to, I'm about to throw them away, and then Lauren says, well, maybe, maybe you should keep one, <laughs> you know, to remember him by. And I laugh. I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. I should totally do that. You know? <laughs> uh, and I, just, I throw them out. And Lauren goes back to the boxes and I'm standing there and I'm watching her. And all of a sudden it hits me. Like, this is almost over. You know, like in a couple hours, we'll sort through the last box and we'll bring the donations to Goodwill and we'll dump all the garbage bags at the dump. And I'll drive back home to Pittsburgh and all of this will be over. And once it's gone, I, I can never get it back. And I just, and I think, you know, maybe, maybe I should keep one. <laughs> you know, just one to remember him by. It's, it's the most ridiculous thing, right? It, it was Lauren's idea. You know, but I had said no in the moment. Um, but now all of a sudden I'm determined, like I am going to take one of these DVDs, but I'm really embarrassed that I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, you're feeling self-conscious of like, oh, I have to pick the right moment to reach back into the garbage bag or whatever. 100, when Lauren's yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I like, I wait until she's looking the other way and I stick my hand into the garbage bag <laughs> and I fish out this DVD and I stuff it into my backpack and zip it up. It's like... Like I'm stealing something that doesn't belong to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Lor Lauren may have talked about this since she thinks it's hilarious. She knows now. <laughs> yeah, she knows. Um, but I steal this DVD out of the garbage bag, and um, then we finish the job, and I go home, and and it's over. So, so that was. It's been almost eight years since that day. And I still have the DVD. <laughs> it's like the ticket stubs and the letters and this DVD in like a, a box somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I still have it. Um, I haven't watched it. Not yet. Anyway, <laughs> I, I thought about it a few times. It, like, it never felt like the right moment. Yeah, it's a, it's a very specific mood that I feel like you'd have to be in to be like, this is the moment to bring this out. <laughs> yeah, and just that moment never happened um, as of yet. <laughs> but I but I still have this DVD, and it, who knows? You know, maybe one day I'll be feeling just that right mix of emotion. And I'll bust out sluts, virgins, and twins number six. <laughs> Pop that sucker in and rub one out for Chris. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. That was so, yeah, lovely and funny. And um, yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you, Brian. In sharing it, it's like my memory of it was just such a like unique moment, but it's been interesting in sharing it. The number of people who have kind of shared with me that they've had similar moments um, <laughs> yeah. and, just, and just realizing that it's actually more universal uh, 
was, I don't know if I'd call it a relief. I don't know. It was just interesting. So, um, yeah, you having this experience and you're like, wow, what this, th- this could not happen to anybody else. Like, how would this happen to me? And you're like, oh, actually, this happens to a lot of loved <laughs> ones as they're dealing. People. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just know you're not alone. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for giving me the space to share my story. Yeah, of course. If people want to find out more about uh, like what you do or what you got going on, um, is can you they find you on social media or anything like that? Uh, yeah, totally. Um, so my name is Tori Shine, T-O-R-R-E-Y, Shine, S-H-I-N-E. Um, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, on Instagram, I have a link to a link tree, which has links to all of, um, I have a bunch of different upcoming shows in New York City. I do a lot of storytelling. I do improv. I do musical improv. I do non-musical improv. Um, I'm on a sketch, one of the house sketch teams at the Magnet Theater. Uh, and I also do uh, I'm a slam poet. And I have a couple solo shows in the works. So cool. I, have a, I have a lot of different stuff coming up. Um, so if you yeah. check out my, my Instagram or Facebook, you'll see the link tree. Um, and you can see a list of upcoming events that I have. Cool. Well, thank you again uh, so much for sharing this story with me. Great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is how we love. This is how we fight for something that's right. Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts. Love Hurts.